Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think it would be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive, and fun way to expand your reach online. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know we sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support our show. I am so glad that I found Buzzsprout and was lucky enough to start with them. They've been so instrumental in helping me grow That Girl the Podcast. I love that I can look at my stats anytime, anywhere, and know exactly how I'm doing. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. And the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world. Chapter 19. Pop That Top. I wake up the next day without the sound of an alarm for what feels like the first time in my life. I can't remember a time when I didn't need to wake up for something. Even on the weekends, there was always some workout class I needed to meet a friend at or some brunch I was on my way to. I've never really had free time. This new and illustrious concept to me feels like it could be nice. I can finally organize my drawers, throw away things I don't need in my garage, read a book without nowhere to be but my patio. I yawn and stretch my arms out wide in my bed, feeling free for the first time in my life. You know, I think I'm going to like this free time thing, he texts me back. Go right. Six hours later, I've organized my drawers, piled up bags of clothes I want to donate, gone through my bathroom and thrown away truckloads of old makeup I've somehow acquired, most of which was given to me from different companies through my job. My old job. I go into my kitchen to see what else I can throw away. I open up each cabinet to find old bottles of liquor sitting around collecting dust. I've never been a big drinker by myself and rarely have people over. I'm more of a go-out-and-drink kind of girl. I toss the bottles, which look somewhat of eight years old now, into the garbage. I find a ton of menus I've saved from restaurants I've never eaten at. I throw those away, too. Then I look around at my junk drawer. Oh, what a mess. It's literally all junk. I'm feeling pretty good about all the cleansing I'm doing. I think about starting a juice cleanse just to up the ante, but I like food too much. By the time I've thrown everything away and put the bags of clothes to donate in my car, I'm exhausted. I've been so productive today. What a great way to start my new jobless life. I plop down on my couch and look over at my guitar. Should I try writing? Maybe I should do a little bit of my new job today. I go over and pick it up and sit back down on the couch. I pick the melody that I always pick. It's a tune I've had in my head most of my life, but I can never finish it. I always get to a certain point and then I stop. It's like writer's block. But what it really feels like is that the melody just hasn't come to me yet. I sigh and put down my guitar. Instead of working, I turn the TV on to a home improvement show and fall into a deep reality TV haze. Days like this go by until I have nothing left to clean, nothing left to fix, nothing left to return, nothing left to do. The house is quiet, except for the sound of a siren from a fire truck go by every hour or so. I'm completely bored out of my mind. I know my job was boring, but this is on another level. I feel completely worthless sitting around with nothing to do and nowhere to be. 
This is exactly what I hated about my job, and now I'm here living that hell all over again. I go to my phone and think about calling someone to talk, but then I remember that all of my friends have jobs. I'm the only one sitting here twiddling my thumbs. I get up and grab my guitar, pull up a new Pro Tools session, and plug the mic in. I'm going to write, and I don't care what it is. I have to do something. I hit record and then start playing all kinds of melodies and all kinds of genres until I hit one that feels right. I settle on one that's more of a grungy sound, something alternative and edgy, something that fits my mood right now. Bitter. It feels like I'm starting to go through the stages of grief. I've been in denial for a few days while I clean the house, but now I'm starting to go into the stage of anger. They say anger isn't really an emotion, but rather the reaction to another emotion, like sadness. I don't want to think about sadness right now. I want to feel powerful, like I did when I left my job. I continue crafting the song, verse, then pre-chorus, then chorus, until I hit the bridge. Then I slow down a bit, become a little moody. Maybe the sadness catches up with me, and you see the real pain behind the song peek through. But it only lasts long enough to show you a little above the knee, and then I slam back into a heavy chorus that repeats out until the end of the song. I'm panting slightly. I feel like I've just gotten everything out. I hit the spacebar to stop recording and listen back to it. The song has some backbone to it. It's fresh with the slightest bit of nostalgia. Just enough to make you miss Fiona Apple's first record, but not enough to make you want to listen to it. I go through the track and see what areas need to be comped. I re-record certain sections until it sounds decent for a demo. When I'm finally ready, I listen back to the song again in its entirety. It's fucking fire. I love it. I may be a little biased and a little strung out by life right now, but I'm pretty sure it's a killer song. I save the session, send it over to Ryan, grab the remote, and start watching HGTV again. Figure as long as I work somewhat during the day, then it won't be so bad if I binge watch TV the rest of it. Jennifer has taken it upon herself to get me out on the town tonight. She, of course, always is up for going out. Late night Hollywood outings are her second job. Honestly, I think she just can't stand one more text from me asking what she's doing and needed to get me out of the house for her own sanity. Ryan, Jennifer, her husband Greg, and myself are all meeting at a new bar that's opened up. It's trendy and cool, something only Jennifer could pick out. Ryan picks me up and we drive over to the bar. That's actually what it's called. It's simple and to the point. I love it. We walk up to the bouncer and pass the paparazzi. They offer us one flash, just in case one of us is famous. Jennifer acts like she is and poses. Inside, it has a very retro 1920s vibe to it, with dim lighting and plush furniture to sit on. It's very macabre with walls covered in beautiful wooden moldings and old brass light fixtures with small electric candles. The bartenders are dressed in white button-down shirts with small black vests and suspenders. Their hair is slicked back, and each one is sporting some kind of well-groomed facial hair. I watch one of them muddle something in a glass, looking very serious about the whole thing. Bartending in L.A. has brought back our grandfather's drinking habits with a touch of arrogance. Mix in the -the turn-of-the-century clothing and paraphernalia, some well-thought-out facial hair, a snobbery to all things alcohol, and what's trending on NPR, and you've got yourself an L.A. bartender. They're separated by styles and area codes here, much like gangs. They reside on the east side of Los Angeles and Silver Lake, Los Feliz, and downtown L.A. Our bartenders will kick your ass intellectually from the years spent in college 
trying to become the next great American author, and then physically in the back alley from years of being an out-of-work author-slash-screenwriter-slash-actor, working in a bar for too long. It's kind of like Cheers here, except no one wants to know your name. They're all too concerned with making one for themselves. Jennifer has reserved a table for us, and we're escorted to it. I cozy up to Ryan, feeling happy to be out, but a little nervous as well. Although I'm happy about quitting my job and taking a leap of faith, I'm a little freaked out. If something doesn't change soon, I'm not sure how I'm going to pay my rent next month. If Ryan wasn't here to pay for my drinks and food, then there would be no way I'd be able to hang here. It's too expensive. I look around at the clientele and suddenly feel very small. Ryan looks at me and smiles. You okay? I feign a smile. Yep. I can sense that he doesn't know whether to believe me or not, so he kisses my forehead and pulls me in tighter. Our waiter quickly comes over and in a bright, happy tone introduces himself and asks if we'd like anything to start. Jennifer leans in and smiles, wagging her finger for him to come closer. Our ridiculously talented friend here is the next big songwriter, and we're here to celebrate her amazingness, she says, leaning back and putting her arm around me. Can you make her something that's as amazing as her? His expression changes from intrigued to annoyed. I can see he's not amused. What kind of liquor do you like? He asks. Um, whiskey? I reply. Ryan cuts in. No, something with champagne. I look at him surprised and he grins. Come on, it's time to celebrate. He kisses me and I can't help but blush and bite my lip, thinking about how lucky I am to be here right now. The bartender lightens at the thought of a pricey bill and a large tip at the end and suddenly changes his tone again. Great, I'll have that out to you in a moment. As the hours pass, along with many glasses of champagne, I see a very different side of Ryan emerge. He's certainly not the boy I used to know when we first met. He's quite charming and people respond quickly to him as he glides around cracking jokes. It's fun to see him in non-work environment. I feel taken care of and cherished as he not only dotes on me, but on my friends making sure they're happy as well. Ryan and Greg decide to awkwardly go to the restroom together. There's a good laugh about it not being weird and being very feminist of them. They're going to lean into their masculinity and we approve of it. As they leave, Jennifer and I giggle to each other at how cute they are. She notices my eyes glaze over in what can only be love and leans in. Quite a guy you've got there. I look at her and put my hand to my cheek. Yeah, who knew? She leans in and smiles. And he's been helping you with your career too? Doesn't get better than that. What a team. He has, but he hasn't been pushy about it. Just letting me do my thing. It's really great to have that kind of support. I smile, looking off into the distance. You know, he kind of asked me to move in the day I quit my job. She looks at me shocked. He did? I laugh. I mean, I would never do that right now. Everything is so crazy, what with leaving my job and the whole Ezra thing. I trail off, realizing that I forgot to mention that minor detail to her. I thought Ezra was out of the picture. Oh, he's out of the picture, I think. I take a deep breath, preparing myself to tell her the bad news. Um, well, he is. <laughs> but there's been a problem. What kind of problem? She asks, worried. Well, he kind of stole the song we wrote together. I squeak out. How can you steal a song? I don't understand. 
I explain everything to her, and her mouth drops. She leans back, stunned and angry. At who? I'm not sure. Well, there just has to be a way to fix it, right? I've already tried scanning the cloud and my computer for any evidence, but there's nothing. Ezra wiped everything out. She huffs. Ugh, I never liked him. She takes a long sip of her vodka martini. Will this affect you getting future jobs? No, thank God. I was so worried about that. But after you write with Dan Abrams, you're kind of golden. That's the one good thing that came out of this. I laugh. If I had just lied the whole time and told people I had a cut coming out soon, I think I would have gotten a lot further a lot faster. Yeah, but you're not a liar. Like Ezra. She grunts. I slap my hands down on my knees. So, that's it. I'm just gonna keep writing and hope for the best. I say, putting my most believable happy face on. I look over, but she's still angry and it's apparent. She's not the type that goes well into the night with one of her closest in trouble. She takes a long sip of her martini again and raises it. Well, you certainly ended up with the best man with Ryan. She softens a little. I'm so happy for you. We clink our glasses and sip to it. Not to downplay any of your work stuff, but he's quite the shelter in the storm right now. I look over and see the boys talking to each other, getting along just great. You may want to marry him before someone else does, she kids. I laugh at her and roll my eyes, embarrassed to even consider something like marriage at this point with him. She puts her hands up to mimic a movie screen. I can see it now. You'll write Grammy-winning music all day while he runs his artist empire. Sounds perfect, I laugh. You'd never have to work again. I flinch. I'd always work, though, I say defensively. Jennifer starts. Of course, but when you have kids, she says, expecting me to fill in the blank. I look at her conflicted. She has a point. I wouldn't have to work. I wouldn't have to worry about money or working a million jobs just to be able to afford my life. And he loves me. But would I want to become some kind of L.A. housewife? More importantly, would he even want someone like that? I look over at Ryan and Greg, who are standing at a distance, talking and enjoying each other's company. It makes me happy to know they're getting along. He must feel me watching him, because he catches my eye and winks. I feel my phone vibrate in my purse and go to grab it. On the screen is a text from Ezra. Hey, I'm back. My heart stops as I stare down at the text. Ladies, I hear a pop and look up. Our waiter has brought us another bottle of champagne, the good kind. I smile and hide my shock while Jennifer leans her glass forward to be filled. The waiter pours champagne into my empty glass and looks at me. Congratulations, again. Ryan and Greg have returned. They raise their glasses ready to make yet another toast to congratulate me when I look at them horrified. Ezra just texted me. I say worried. They quickly bring their glasses down and Greg gives me a confused smile. Cheers? Jennifer slams her glass down, pissed. What did he say? He just texts me right now saying he's back in town. I say quietly. Ryan sits down and looks at the text. Okay, this is good. He doesn't think you suspect anything yet. This can buy you some time. But I've tried everything. There's no evidence. I say defeated. Don't give him everything just yet. Brian says. Well, what should I say? I ask. To fuck off? That's what you should say. 
Jennifer says, pissed. Don't text him back right away. Just be pleasant. Don't flirt back if he tries to flirt with you, Ryan says. Is that your special request or to help me here? I joke. Both, he smirks. Just keep him on the hook. Why is he even texting me? Because he knows he can get something from you. So this time, just don't let him have it. Hey guys, did you know that for $5 a month, you can help support That Girl the Podcast on our new Patreon page? You'll get access to bonus podcast episodes only seen on Patreon, bonus footage on current episodes, Q&As, and everyone's favorite, bloopers, and so much more. Because That Girl doesn't have sponsors, you'd be our sponsor. With $5 a month, you can help me keep making the podcast. To sign up, go to patreon.com forward slash thatgirlthepodcast.